0: You're listening to Cut to Kellogg, a podcast by and for media experts and enthusiasts on the biggest questions facing the entertainment industry. I'm your host, Lindsay, and today we're talking about showstoppers. In March 2020, the unthinkable happened. Broadway closed its doors. It took over a year and a half, but Broadway is back, and with classics like Phantom of the Opera and Hamilton and new shows like Moulin Rouge The Musical and Six, gracing the theater district in New York and touring around the world. However, the live entertainment industry experienced changes with releases of Hamilton on Disney+, Plus, Diana on Netflix, and Come From Away on Apple TV, bringing the stories, songs, and experience to our homes. Additionally, there have been multiple releases of movie musicals, such as Tick, Tick, Boom! and Dear Evan Hansen. It begs the question, will this become more frequent in order to draw in new audiences, or will detract from the thrill of live theater? Will these trends influence the types of projects that make it to Broadway? Let's cut to Kellogg and meet our guest for today.
1: All right, here we go. And I, rolling sound. What? And action. Kellogg. And the Oscar goes.
0: Our guest today is Roger McCone. Roger is the head of international marketing for Global Creatures. Global Creatures specializes in producing new theatrical works and currently has Moulin Rouge the Musical playing on Broadway and touring in the U.S., as well as productions in London and Melbourne, with Germany, Korea, and Japan, among others in the works. Moulin Rouge the Musical won 10 Tony Awards in 2021, including Best Musical, Prior to his work at Global Creatures, Roger worked as a marketing executive, building audiences for a variety of live entertainment and media clients across the globe. While a fan of all entertainment, Roger's personal interest lies in live entertainment, and will be chatting with us today about live entertainment insights, including the production and marketing evolution over time. Roger, thank you so much for being on Cut to Kellogg today. We're so excited to talk to you about all things Broadway and live entertainment. And, you know, I really want to start off with. What sparked your interest in Broadway and live entertainment and how you ended up in the industry?
1: Uh, Hello, everybody. Very glad to be here. Thank you. And really, it was my parents who got me interested uh, in the performing arts. My dad was a dentist by profession, but would be a stage manager in local productions on the side. My mom was a chorus girl. They got me into local musical theater when I was a kid. I actually did some performing before my voice changed. Uh, And then my older brother started playing the drums when he was in high school and we always had a drum set in the house. So I started playing drums as well. So the performing arts were always in my family. When I went to school, you know, I I wanted to get a, a good education and get into business, but I always had this kind of creative side and performing arts side of my interests. So when I got out of college, I wanted to do something melded both my creative ambitions and my business acumen. And advertising, fit that bill, because you have art directors, copywriters, illustrators, producers. And while I wasn't one of those, I went into the account management track and got into the management side of advertising and marketing, first on the agency side of the business.
0: Was there a role that you did growing up that was your favorite?
1: That's a great question. I would say... I was a newsboy in Gypsy. Uh, that was my first musical as a, as a kid. Uh, so that was a great production. I remember my audition for that. I, I brought a, dr- a snare drum because I was a drummer. It was my first show that I ever had to sing. And I didn't have a song prepared. So they said, can you just sing happy birthday? Happy birthday to you. And I don't know, I was maybe 11 years old or something. And I just belted out happy birthday to you. And I got the part. So uh, <laughs> that, that was my favorite, my favorite role as a kid.
0: That's awesome. Well, you know, you mentioned that you worked both on the agency and now you work on the client side of live entertainment. You know, what have you found to be the most interesting part of each of those roles?
1: Well, they they both have their pros and cons. I would say mostly pros. You know, they're they're, they're it's a great industry to be in, but those two positions are very different. So, I started on the agency side and what I really loved about that is you are working Every day in the office with the creative team, you know, like the art directors, copywriters coming up with ideas. And while I was on the account management, if you're in an agency that's uh, small enough and creatively driven and allows good ideas to get into the process from, from anywhere, even as an account manager, you can come up with a good headline or make a recommendation on a visual concept. And, you know, if you have a cooperative creative team, a creative team, And sometimes your ideas actually get published and that, that was wonderful. So I love being in the trenches with the creative folks uh, on the agency side. There's also a camaraderie there that develops because, you know, you're always, you're working on the client's business and and they present you with challenges every day. So there's kind of that, uh, you know, it's like an in in the trenches mentality, like we're going to overcome this. We can do it any challenge. And the agency starts with a blank page. So it is very difficult when you're looking at a blank page to figure out what to do. You know, it's very easy for clients to, to react to work that is presented to them. But when you're the person who has to write that first word or come up with that first concept, it's, very, it's a very tough business to be in. And I, I find uh, the smartest people in our business are the creative people because they, they have to be. Not only do they have that talent, but they're generally brilliant on strategy as well and you know i bow to them they they they're amazing people the creatives in our in our industry and then I, I will just say on the other side then going and working on the client side if you will say for a production company or in my my case my my first jump to the client side was at abc television so i went from the ad agency to the the uh, to, to abc television network working on news and sports and that's that's great because you're around the creative process that is producing either the television show or on Broadway. Like now I'm with a production company where, you know, we're working with the creative team that's producing the musical. So you still get that, that, you know, the the stimulation of being around the creative process, but, you know, in, in a marketing role, you're not necessarily that connected to what's going up on the stage. You're very connected to how are you marketing the show and what is the creative that's being developed and you have a lot of collaboration with your advertising agency. But again, you know, the agency has the blank page. So it's very tough for them. But being part of a production company, being being part of all the internal decisions of, you know, when do we schedule what we need to do and, and working with stage management and creative team and or if it's a television production, you know, how the show is being produced. I mean, at a very early age, I was you know, running into ABC News with like Rune Arledge, like some of these guys who are long gone. But I mean, I remember for ABC Sports, you know, I was 25 and Bob Iger, who was, you know, was chairman of, of Disney, was director of sports programming at ABC Sports. And there I go running in, you know, with layouts for advertising for him to approve. So, That's something you didn't always get to do on the agency side, yet you have exposure to some um, amazing minds on the production side. So it's very stimulating. Either side you're on and each one has its internal challenges, but it's all good. It's a great industry.
0: What a cool thing to be able to say that you knew Bob Iger before he became (laughs) Bob Iger. I mean, that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah,
1: he was amazing even then, believe me.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. And it's so interesting because I think you hear... It's just so interesting to hear both sides, right? Because a lot of people tend to go agency side and want to get into production, but there are pros and cons to both. So it was really, it's interesting to get your perspective since you've seen both sides. But talking more on the production side, you know, what do you think has been the biggest change in live entertainment for production companies over the last decade?
1: Well, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is is the effect of technology, and it's not just the internet, but you know, you think think about how how live shows are produced and and how you know lighting, sound, set design, the, the capabilities, flying. I mean, there there's just technology has just you know increases in leaps and bounds and, and gives creative people the tools they need to to tell these stories. But no matter how much you know technology you have it's really about the story it's about the emotional connection with the audience so these are just tools that that help very creative people tell amazing stories so that that that's a big thing in terms of a production company and some of the other industries for instance the concert industry which i've worked in marketing for for many years i think a big change was the consolidation in the concert industry of the local promoters robert silliman Robert Sillerman, you know, started to roll up a lot of local promoters into his company SFX, which I think became Clear Channel, which became Live Nation. I mean, there, you know, it's there's been a big consolidation in the in the the promoter, the promoter marketplace around the country. So so that made a big difference about how concerts were booked and were marketed and and the artist management deals, et cetera. And then I think on Broadway, you know, what I've seen over the years was this transition from you know the impresario who uh, you know who was a producer you know maybe the one or two people who really really produced broadway shows like a david Merrick or someone like that to the four or five lead producer model with an army of investors so you might have 20 30 50 different investment groups so as as these these uh, risky entertainment production products you know became more expensive you had to spread the risk and you had to get more investors and you know, that's a big change from the old days when, when you know, there was one kind of one voice in the room. It was great if you're the marketer because you had one clear decision maker. Nowadays, you have to get consensus among many people, and it's often not that easy.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't say consensus is. Uh, it's not easy for sure, but it it's, it makes it sound like it's kind of like a venture equity or a venture capital firm in a little in some ways, because you have all these LPs and you're making investment decisions that are risky and could pay off, but could, and, or could not. And you kind of just have to rely on the creative team to make it all happen. So it's very interesting how it's changed. And it kind of leads into my next question as to, you know, are there current trends in the industry that you find exciting or interesting, or has there been some shifting in the landscape that could kind of make live entertainment, make another jump forward?
1: Well, obviously, you know, post power during the pandemic and post pandemic, we saw the, the rise of streaming. Um, I also will say, you know, something that that I've had my eye on is the gaming industry has, well, I, I would say the, the live industry has broken into the gaming industry or the two of them have come together. You know, with, with virtual concerts on Fortnite and things things like that. I mean, it just it's just incredible that you know the Bowery Presents, you know, a great which was a local promoter in New York and and now is a regional a big regional promoter in the U.S. under the AEG umbrella. But they did a deal during the pandemic to stream shows on Twitch from Brooklyn Steel, one of their venues in Brooklyn, and uh, you know, so that 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 whole thing about Virtual performance is something that's really interesting. And I don't, you know, people often think, well, does that cannibalize the live experience in some way? And I really don't think it does. I think it enhances it. And I can, I can cite examples, you know, from 25 years ago when Riverdance was, it won the European Song Contest and I was at Radio City Music Hall at the time. We, we brought it from Ireland to debut in New York at Radio City Music Hall. And it had played on, on PBS, a special. And everybody was worried, well, how are you going to sell all those tickets when everybody's already seen it on PBS? Well, all that PBS special did was increase the interest in the show, and we had an immediate sellout. I don't know, we did probably, I don't know, 14 shows and added another 10. I, I forget what the numbers were, but it was multiple shows at Radio City were able to sell out because people saw it on television first. And then, you know, you've had all, you know, Phantom has has done the movie. Mamma Mia is a great example. And even if the movie didn't, you know, do giant box, it it raises awareness of the live show and makes people want to come and see the live show. So that plus the current streaming situation that kind of blossomed during COVID and then has kind of cooled off a bit, but it's not going away. People are going to figure out how to do it. There's a lot of rights issues that, that make it difficult, but all that exposure for the show, I think is positive in the end.
0: Well, let me ask you this because it is interesting because we saw, you know, during COVID, Hamilton went on Disney Plus, Diana went on Netflix even before it opened on Broadway. And, you know, as you had mentioned, Dear Evan, uh, Mamma Mia is a movie. They released Dear Evan Hansen and Tick Tick Boo. I, I guess, do you think there it's. Is there a better way forward? Is it better to have the movie so people want to go see what it's like live or is it better to do kind of what Hamilton and Come From Away and Diana did where they filmed the actual show?
1: You know, this is, I don't know if this is an interesting answer or not, but I think it depends on the product. And I, I, and I hate using that word product for, for a piece of, you know, what is, it's commercial art, but it is art. And if you have an amazing show, Hamilton, groundbreaking amazing piece of theater that's something that could go either way if you have if you have an amazing concept that starts as an amazing you know that that can that can be be fine as well it depends on 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 you know the 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 show that you're talking about it's got to be amazing it's got to be fantastic and if it starts live and then goes to a movie if the concept is good and the production is right, the casting is right, you know, they're, they're both going to do well, and they're both going to, going to complement each other. So, you know, if you don't have such a great, great concept and it goes to, you know, to film first and the film flops, no one's going to want to make it into a, into a a stage show. Well, well, that's not always true. Some people will take an idea that flopped in a film and, and turn it into a, you know, a viable live, live product. But, uh, I think they just both help each other and success depends on, you know, you you can put everything down on paper. It's gotta be a great idea. It's gotta have great collaborators, but until it's actually put up on stage and people see it, interact with it, word of mouth gets out, you know, the critics have some, some influence in that as well, but you, you never know. And that's why it's a risky business. You know, you can have all your, all your plans and all the best team. And sometimes it just doesn't work. And, uh, more times than not, it does not work. So the the ones that are hits are 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 really amazing phenomena.
0: Well, speaking of hits, you know, for some of live entertainment's most successful shows. So thinking of like Les Misérables and Phantom of the mm-hmm. Opera, Wicked, they have had such a longevity on Broadway and broke all kinds of records they're known all around the world you know do you see that there are consistent themes or characteristics of these kinds of shows that you know kind of lends them to be more successful than maybe some more niche shows or you know what what kind of makes these shows have the longevity than compared to some others which usually has a turnaround i think most broadway shows close within a year or two usually yeah.
1: I, th- I think it's the ability to, to, to ultimately reach and, and have an emotional connection with a, a wide audience. A, you need a large audience. You need a lot of people to come and see a Broadway show over time. And, you know, Wicked has been able to continually regenerate the younger side of the audience. So as, as the younger folks, you know, age into lo- loving, it, first, it's a great story. You know, it's a great story. It's a great production. They, they got that right. But it also developed almost in a phenomenal way to appeal to, to young girls and their parents. And, and they just keep coming. You know, they, they they keep growing up, growing into the show. The show is, maintains its high quality. It's marketed very well. And, and then it, it, these are shows that have to be able to first be successful with the local audiences around Broadway. And then it catches on to a suburban audience. And then you have your domestic tourists who come to see the show. And ultimately over time, it becomes an international phenomenon and you have your international tourists. And those those people come at different times of the year. So they, they, they sustain the show in different parts of the year. But if you have a phenomenal production, a Lion King, a Wicked, a Phantom, a Les Mis, you know, it boils down to is it connecting with audiences and is it connecting with a wide enough audience to run for a long time where either those people grow into it or you just expand your audience geographically from local to worldwide?
0: Yeah, that I think my sister would be remiss if I didn't mention that Wicked was her big first big Broadway show. And I think that's what kind of trapped her into musical theater. I think she's seen it maybe six times and she's now 30. So you're, I think it's totally right that you need the right show to kind of introduce you to it so that you grow into it and maybe have more taste for seeing different things. Cause you need a wicked to maybe try a Jersey boys or a Carol King or, you know, something that's maybe a little more outside of your comfort zone. So that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, in terms of how you look at the industry, are you seeing some themes pop up in what's coming down the pipeline? And does that influence how you would market a show?
1: Well, I would say there, you know, there are the eternal themes that resonate with human beings and and you you've, you've got to hit those for the show to have longevity and reach a wide audience but times do change and I think a good example you know right now coming out of two years of, of a really tough time for everybody you could perhaps say that themes that are more escapist might might be you know more relevant now and more attractive to audiences now you know co- having been cooped up for a couple of years, people are excited to get out and they want to kind of forget their troubles and uh, and see shows that are maybe a little more lighthearted or, or take them, you know, take them away for a couple hours. Like I, I can tell you Moulin Rouge, the musical, you know, the show that I work on does that in spades. It's, it's an incredible the moment you walk into the you are you are transformed and, and or transported, I should say, to to, to 1890s Paris, the whole auditorium. Is covered in red silk and chandeliers. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just beautiful when you walk in. And then the show itself is, you know, almost nonstop energy, but it also does have a lot of heart and a lot of emotion. You know, there's a, a timeless love story, you know, in, 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 the, in the show itself. So it really, it, it touches on all of that that helps you just get away from, you know, the war, the recession, <laughs> or, or, you know, the, the pandemic, whatever the case may be. So, so those types of themes, you know, as times change may be more prevalent in what the work that's produced and how perhaps what marketing levers you pull and communicate for whatever show you have, you might, you might want to like dial up the escapist nature of, of something versus, you know, the emotional impact or, or some other attribute of the show.
0: Well, uh, you know, on Rouge, the musical has really a global footprint. It's expanding across not just Broadway, but the US and in Melbourne. And, you know, you had mentioned that it's also going to Asia and Europe. You know, when you're thinking about taking a show on a global scale, you know, how do you adjust the messaging or even change the musical or aspects of the production in order to reach that audience audience since there is differences in in cultures and things hit a certain way and some People would say that, like the Brits have a higher wit than Americans. <laughs> so, how do you kind of adjust that to make it relevant for your audience?
1: Well, that's a a good observation, and it, it, it's absolutely true that that you know different audiences around the world, different cultures, react to things differently, and you know the producers do try to make make some adjustments. It may not be in the script, but. But how, certainly in how the show is marketed, certain Im- imagery is is either dialed up or dialed back. The, the style of graphics, the style of video editing, you, you would try perhaps to adjust for a London audience versus a North American tour audience. You know, our audience in Germany reacted. We did some research and reacted differently to our core creative assets. So they reacted a little differently than Some of the feedback we get in New York, obviously in Asia, culture is very different. So certain themes are going to be accentuated and and some dialed back. But the core core global brand has to sit firmly in the core values of the production itself. So, you know, that global brand is going to be recognizable no matter where you are in some way, but there will be smaller tactical uh, changes somewhat in the production in Germany, we're doing the show in German and the music is in German and English. So if the music is moving the story along, they're singing it in German so you can understand it. If it's a pop hit that everybody knows in English, we're going we're to keep you know the English lyrics in, in the music. You do adjust the show for territories. You do adjust the marketing for different territories, but you have to keep the core brand recognizable worldwide.
0: I bet it sounds very different in German than it does in the U.S. I mean, I remember seeing a show in London, which you know they speak English, and even I think it was Wicked, and I was like, that does not sound. It, it sounds so different, and they we both speak English. The English may argue that we don't really speak English, but yeah, I mean that's so so interesting. I as a follow up question. When you're thinking about where to go next, what are some of the factors that you're thinking about, you know, doing Japan versus China or Germany versus Italy? What are are kind of the factors that go into that?
1: Several factors. Part of it is, you know, what is the available audience? Is there a live theater audience in that market to make it economically viable? Some of it is relationship based. You know, the producers of these various shows have relationships with presenters around the country and around the world. So... You know you may have a relationship with someone in Sao Paulo that you know uh, is worthy of presenting this, this work of art that you you know maybe put 10 years of development into. So its it's, it's, it's a commercial uh, consideration. it's a relationship consideration. You know you probably do some analytics about do the themes uh, of this particular show will they resonate with the audience there culturally? And I think you know from Moulin Rouge, the musical we have, you know, universal themes of 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 love, of acceptance. You know, the Bohemian values: truth, beauty, freedom, and love. No matter what country you live, as a human being, those are values that I think are are worthy uh, to aspire to and will resonate when you see it on stage. So we have a we have a great opportunity on every continent to take this show and make it a success. And then it just comes down to the business decisions: who do, who who do you work with? who can who can produce the show properly, market it properly, and make it a success in that market.
0: Well, I know I'm very excited for Moulin Rouge, the musical, to come to Chicago. It's going to be very exciting to see since I haven't been able to see it in New York. You had mentioned earlier kind of the the changing landscape in terms of interacting with audiences, whether it's through social media or streaming platforms. You know, we've seen... Musicals come up like Bridgerton the Musical and Ratatouille the Musical, which were written on TikTok by you know everyday people. And they gained a wide following. People were recording their own voices, singing the songs, and even you know, the Bridgerton musical gained um, a Grammy nomination for Best Musical Theater Album of the Year, although it wasn't a live entertainment production. And so I was really curious to know how social media has changed, how audiences interact with live entertainment? And is it going to affect the creation of new content or what ultimately you know makes it to Broadway or makes it on
1: stage? Wow. That is a great question mm-hmm. to uh, connect what's going on in the social media world creatively with what must show up on stage down the road. Wow. Consider that. Well, this is my opinion, I guess, but in my observation, but
0: opinion and observations are great. So
1: yeah, so <laughs> so social media, I, I think about this sometimes, like, especially like TikTok, but whatever the new platform may be, it's given, you know, every person an opportunity to be a creator. And, you know, I'm sure there's a, you know, there is a lot of junk out there, but it'll, it gives a platform to some really creative minds. And th- those who, who embrace certain platforms and and figure out how to be successful with them have an effect on on a lot on some of them on a lot of people. You know, I love watching those little seven second, 10 second, you know, vignettes essentially on on TikTok or on TikTok, sorry, on Instagram reels, you know, used to be Facebook videos. But I think, I think in a way it is, it has made our attention spans a bit shorter. So there there may be some producers and and creators out there for live entertainment. you know, who are not going to do a, a, a two, two and a half hour stage production. You're going to, you know, you've already seen many shows coming in at 90 minutes because audiences, you know, some of them don't have the time. Now you look at Harry Potter that did, you know, a two-part, a two-parter, you know, but with a huge uh, uh, initial fan. I worked on Lincoln Center Theater for, for many years on the marketing there on the agency side. And they were very ambitious with, you know, the coast of Utopia, a three-part, you know, I don't know. It's like, eight hours of theater, you you could see it in one day if you had to. But I think social media is turning people on to be more creative. People are getting more engaged, you know, with content every day. And it it will have an effect on what uh, goes on stage in legitimate theater. You know, it's not going to like make it go away. It's not going to, it's not going to influence it completely. But I, I think people's attention spans are getting shorter. Pe- people want more instant gratification. So as tastes change, the theater will change. But it, it still boils down to a great story, a great concept, and having taking the time to tell it well. And you can't always just do that in 10 seconds. You know.
0: I guess one final question that I had for you for this part of the podcast was, do you have any advice for people that are trying to break into the live entertainment industry? I
1: would say learn your craft. Spend the time becoming either an expert or at least proficient in in the early stages of of what you want to do. And then you need to put yourself in that environment and you need to talk to people. You need to network. You need to develop relationships. You, you need to be willing to do almost anything in the beginning to get your foot in the door, and and you need to really work hard. And you, and you can't expect everything is going to come right away. You have to have some patience. You you have to just continue to work hard, perform well, develop your relationships. Hopefully, find a mentor or two who can who can help you. But and and you also need to have some passion. You know you have to really like what you do because it's it's very competitive and it's it's not easy. It's very the work itself is is, is demanding. Whether you're on the creative side. Side or any of the administrative side. That's a fast, fast moving, fast-paced, fickle business. There's a lot of uncertainty every day. So you have to be built a little bit for that. And you, you just, you know, these are a lot of these are cliches. You just cannot give up. You know, you have to keep going and you have to keep trying. But you know, prepare yourself, work hard, and develop relationships. And if you put that together and have some patience and perseverance, and you're going to be successful.
0: Well, that was awesome to hear. And I think cliches are have rings of truth in them. That's why they're called <laughs> yes. cliches. Roger, I want to say thank you so much for being on our podcast today. You know, I it's been such a pleasure talking with you. This isn't the first time I've talked with you, and it's always so much fun to catch up. But now it's time for a segment we like to call the final cut, where we ask you a few questions about the content you're currently consuming. Uh, the first question is, what is your favorite piece of recent media? It can be content or a certain live experience that you would recommend.
1: All right. Well, I have to plug the show I'm working for. (laughs) Moulin Rouge! The Musical is, is incredible. I mean, I've seen it, I don't know, 50 times now. And every single time I go and see that show, it is so lush and so just full of production value that there's always something new to see and there's always a, a new per, a new performance to to really focus in on because the cast is just amazing. Even with all of our swings and understudies who've had to come in during the COVID time, every single one of them is amazing. So so I can't get enough of that show and I am just blessed to be able to go to work every day and and focus my day on 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 that show in this industry. So that that that's the shameless but sincere plug for that show. Another show that really I that I really enjoyed because I am a musician as well was David Byrne, American Utopia. Just you know, that was it was like life affirming. You know, his his point of view on the world is just so, so I think spot on and uplifting. I, I just walked out of there glad to be a human being and you know it's it's such a musical show with musicians on stage which for a drummer like me just you know blows my mind and just makes it completely enjoyable and the only other thing I'll say about you know recent things that I that I things that I really love to do from a a consumption standpoint is live music and you cannot beat like a, a band in a club it doesn't have to be a superstar I mean you can go see Elton John at the stadium but You know, when you discover someone unknown in, you know, a a hundred, you know, capacity club, you know, in the basement, in, in the village, there's nothing that compares to that, 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 that really is life affirming. And that, that, those are the things that really turn me on.
0: Awesome. So the next question is what TV show movie or Broadway show
1: do you always love to rewatch? Well, believe it or not, I don't I don't watch a lot of TV anymore. I'm not big on episodic television. I'm not a movie connoisseur. I, I will tell one story about what I what I call my favorite movie, and I, and I was, I was brought up better than this. I will tell you. But when I was in high school, Animal House came out. I don't even know if you guys know what Animal House is, but but it was John Belushi who was an amazing Saturday Night Live uh, cast member. But it was a a really Stupid sophomore coming of age, you know, fraternity movie, essentially, but it is a classic. And when I when it came out, I was at the stage where I was looking at schools and you know, Animal House had the toga party at the fraternity, and I was going to visit Bucknell with my my sister and her my brother-in-law, who was a, a Fiji at Bucknell. And literally, I went there on house party weekend and everybody was in togas and and doing the worm on the floor with the live band. And I'm like, this is what I want to be. This is where I want to go to college. (laughs) And uh, I end up going to Bucknell, but Animal House always, you know, whenever, if I ever find that, you know, wherever it shows up these days, I can't turn it off. I have to watch it. And it's just, uh, you know, John Belushi's performance is unbelievable. God rest his soul. But that's my classic movie that I like. And uh, really, yeah, that's it. That's the movie that I'll always rewatch.
0: It's very serendipitous that you were going (laughs) to visit colleges, (laughs) right? When you saw that movie, it was some divine intervention there. What famous person has been on your mind and why?
1: You know, recently, you know, who just popped into my head was uh, because I saw the clip online. I didn't watch the Oscars, but Lady Gaga and Liza Minnelli. And it was particularly, particularly relevant to me because... At Radio City, when I worked there, we produced Liza Minnelli, a, a few shows, big, big shows that she did at Radio City. We also produced her, her show, Liza at the Palace, which is at the Palace Theater on Broadway. So myself, uh, my older brother, um, Ed, who, who was a producer at Radio City, you know, had a personal relationship w- with Liza, you know, as, as as talent. So I really had some great times with Liza. Getting getting artwork approved, going to her apartment, you know, having her, uh, you know, comment on the retouching that had to be done on 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 the original original photography. You know, she came down to the Jersey Shore with us a couple times. So can you imagine Liza Minnelli in Seaside Heights, New Jersey, walking the boardwalk and like you know playing that game where you you hit the frog and it goes up in the air and lands in the lily pad. <laughs>
0: That's
1: amazing. That, that, so when I saw Liza, you know, on on the Oscars, I was like, God bless her. She's, you know, she's still going, and and God bless Lady Gaga for having her back, as they said. Just, just you know, showbiz royalty and amazing talent, amazing personality. So that that's who I've been thinking about lately. If you just ask me, like, you know, who popped into my head as a as a celebrity?
0: That is a way more positive story than where I thought it was going when you said
1: no let's not go there please yeah
0: no definitely (laughs) not but yeah Liza Minnelli she's she's an icon I mean cabaret is amazing next question is what is your favorite media or experience related to Chicago but we'll expand it because you live in New York to New York City so favorite entertainment type experience in Chicago or New York
1: I can tell you a couple of Chicago stories. I've, okay. I've, I've been there a few times. Uh, you know, what, what sticks out in my mind was a few things, actually. First of all, blues clubs on the south side, like going to see Coco Taylor in a club, you know, with a friend of mine who was, he might even been going to Kellogg, to tell you the truth. He was in business school at the time. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I'd go visit, we go, we go to blues clubs because he was a fan. And like that, that just like, is you know. Amazing the, the the live the live blues music in Chicago is wonderful. I love the the original Pancake House, which I think is on, on Bellevue. I don't know if you guys have ever been there, but like, I'm going to Chicago next week. I'm definitely going to stop by and have a giant pancake. I have kind of a crazy story, and I guess the relevance of this is you in in the uh, the subject of every show is not a hit. I worked on a Cirque du Soleil show called Banana Spiel. Which no one probably remembers. It was a huge flop, and it had its out of town tryout at the Chicago theater, and I was there with my colleague from Sereno Coin, Jim Russick, and I went, went over to to see the show because we were we were shooting uh, B roll for the for the New York marketing, and uh, the show you know, was minus four degrees in, in December or something in Chicago, and I remember having to get up super early and you know meet the production company, and we shot all day but the show transferred to New York. I think we moved the opening like 5 times because it wasn't ready. Like like literally like 4 or 5 times the opening night got postponed and it never never attracted an audience. It's just it was like the one I think misfire that Cirque du Soleil ever had and and I got to work on it. So <laughs> those are the ups and downs of being in this business. Sometimes you get great hits and sometimes, you know, especially as a marketing person, it's it's really tough to sell The show, uh, if it's not a great show. And, you know, the old adage is if the show sells out, it's because the show is fantastic. And if the show bombs, it's because the marketing was terrible. So that's a rough double edged sword. (laughs) Exactly. So, welcome to my world. Shout out to all the marketing folks out there who have to live with that reality.
0: Well, I apologize for the negative four degree weather, but. (laughs) That's outside of my control. Last question. What type of media could you live without? Music, movies, television, podcast, games, live experiences, et cetera.
1: I think I could live without everything you just mentioned except music, either live or recorded, you know, pr- preferably live, you know, because that, that's, that's when you're in a room and the magic happens and there's an exchange between the artist and the audience. Can't, you can't beat that. But you know, if I was stuck on a desert island by myself and all I had was one thing, it it would be some way to to, to you know to, to play music because it it can change your can change your mood in an instant. You know, you can you can not be feeling well, have a tough day, whatever it may be. You listen to the right song, and it it just it just completely changes your 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 point of view and your and the way you feel. I guess the other thing I would need would be like a roast beef sandwich. That's like my favorite my favorite food. So. Roast beef on a roll, lettuce, tomato, extra mayo, salt, pepper, oregano. With some music, I could live forever.
0: <laughs> well, we'll owe you uh hoagie. I think that's what they call them in the Midwest yeah. when you yeah. come out to visit for being a guest on our podcast. And, you know, I do want to ask, is there any social media or information that you'd like to plug?
1: Well, I will plug our, our Moulin Rouge socials, if you don't mind. We are no, please. Uh, we're at Moulin Rouge B-Way. So Moulin Rouge B-W-A-Y that's on Insta on the, on the internet, you know, you can just search our website, but it's Moulin Rouge musical.com. And finally our, the company I work for, Global Creatures, check us out. It's an Australian uh, company that, Produces live theater all over the world, creating new works. An incredible team based in Sydney, in Sydney, but also we have folks in Melbourne, we have folks in London, we have folks in New York. So the company is growing, and it's it's one of the you know one of the groups of people I've ever worked at worked with uh, in my entire career. So we are global-creatures.com on the web. So check out our website and see some of the shows that the company has produced over the, over the years and more to come beyond Moulin Rouge very soon.
0: We'll be looking out for that. And I know I'm very excited for it to come to Chicago and can't wait to see what's coming up next, but thank you so much, Roger, for being on our show. And I hope you'll be willing to come back and and talk to us some more, but this has been amazing.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, give us a follow on Spotify and leave a review. If you're looking for more content, you can check out our blog, Lights Camera Kellogg at lightscamerakellogg.com and follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn, Kellogg Media Entertainment. Cut to Kellogg is a production of the Media and Entertainment Club at the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. It is produced by Ray Hung, Lindsay Kalbaugh, and Kelsey O'Connor. Our theme song is written and performed by Ryan Blackwell. Tune in next time to hear more insights on the media and entertainment industry.